broadcasting from an undisclosed location, from a secret hunting spot known only to him, and the guy who told him about it, and possibly the guy who told the guy who told him. It's a show all about hunting in New Zealand and around the globe. This is The Hunting Show. Find The Hunting Show on Facebook and Twitter for up-to-date information on upcoming shows and topics. I'm coming to you off the back of some very, very chaotic weeks. They were expected, they were planned for, but I think there's a degree of chaos that you just cannot plan for or that you you can't prepare for mentally. So now, having had a little bit of sleep, I've actually slept, it's been great, I've sunk back into what could otherwise be described as or only be described as a routine. And I'll tell you what I'm liking. And some of you are going to judge me for this. I'm really enjoying mash. Not potato mash, not food mash, but the program mash. I've been watching it on Netflix, and I was able to go back to the very beginning of, of mash, and what astounds me, it's nearly facepalm material, is that the un-PC-ness of the whole thing, to be honest... But I really like it. The comedy's dark. It's very clever. It's light but heavy at the same time. And look, I've seen it. It must be a hundred times. I'd like to know whether it's the most repeated thing in history on TV. It's got to be close. That and, and Cheers and maybe The Simpsons. But I'm enjoying it again. And I challenge you to give MASH a go. If you haven't watched MASH, if you're not a MASH fan, you've really got to go back to the very beginning. Try and ignore some of the stuff that is a little bit un-PC and to a 2015 way of thinking is a little bit like, oh yeah, (laughs) Um, they wouldn't get away with that on TV now. But give it a go. I know it's got nothing to do with hunting. It's very blokey, um, but it's it's a great series and I, I challenge you to give it a go. I also managed to get out into the hills yesterday for the first time in a little while. And had an absolute ball. How relaxing. How re-energizing is it just getting out of the house and going for that walk. It was a beautiful day. So we, we didn't see any animals, to be fair. Uh, we saw a little bit of sign, but, you know, everyone says that. And we took some new toys out, some samples, some, some products out to, to have a go with, just to see what they were like. Went... With, with a great guy, uh, someone I hadn't been hunting with before, thoroughly enjoyed his company. And isn't that what it's all about? Isn't that what our craft and our sport is about? Is where you are and the people you are with. So thank you, Kevin, for your company yesterday. And thank you to New Zealand for having these great resources, these great mountains and hills and playgrounds that we can go into free of charge and uninhibited at large so you know i feel completely lucky and completely honored to live in a country and i might oh, look you might be going oh he's getting soppy well i am a bit i, I just do I, I yesterday i really took a breath and took heed of what, where i was and how fortunate i was to be in a position where i could leave home and be out there not only free of charge but to roam at my will within reason.
Back now to Dunedin where there's a big police presence at the University of Otago this morning. Students and staff there, they're on alert after an anonymous message was posted on an online forum on Monday night suggesting there would be a shooting at the campus today. Our reporter Peter Newport is with us again. Good morning again, Peter. What can you tell us? Well, Guyan, um, certainly things are quieter than normal. We've been speaking to a few students uh, they've all checked in with their parents. Some parents have said stay away. But the ones that are here are studying for exams. They're aware of the situation. Uh, they think it's important to make a statement to turn up. But um, two of the students I spoke to just a short time ago have not been able to get access to the buildings they need. Uh, they found doors locked. So there's something of a mixed response in that the business as usual, but um, there are police here. Uh, plain clothes, police keeping a sort of low profile, some buildings locked, but many students making a statement by turning up this morning. And it looks quieter than normal, though, visibly. looks quieter no than doubt. it would be. No doubt. Um, it was hard to tell a little bit earlier on, but now um, everybody agrees that there are far fewer students here than would be normal. And the police, they said that there would be a high, highly visible presence. Uh, has the uh, strategy been, though, for more uh, unmarked cars, or can you see the police at the campus? It's very low-key. I'd say it's even sophisticated. It's not a uh, blunt response. There, there are police cars parked on certain corners, uh, but, but the police that we've seen on campus um, with backpacks and earpieces in plain clothes, just sitting casually in amongst the students, um, quite a, it, it's clear who they are, but um, it, it's not shouting from the rooftops. It's not creating anxiety or panic. So yeah, quite a sophisticated response, and I think a little bit different to what we were told yesterday, that it will be a high-visibility response. Thanks, Peter. That's... That audio, courtesy of Radio New Zealand. That audio was on the back of a couple of threats made to New Zealand universities. And this week's interview is Professor Al Gillespie. And, Professor, how are you going? I'm well. First of all, before we kick into the sort of the meaty part of the interview, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Uh, I'm a professor of international law. I specialise on the laws of war and international environmental law. Most of my connection with hunting in the past has been with regards to sustainable hunting overseas. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm somewhat um, of an advocate that in certain situations that hunting is the best way towards conservation if it's well regulated. So you would have been maybe not in the firing line, but certainly had your ears pricked up over the recent um, issue with lions and safari parks, potentially. Yeah, very much so. And I think that this is one of these issues that people just aren't being rational about. Mm. I mean, you, in, to my mind, the most important thing is that the, there's, the best way to destroy a species is if there's not enough support in the community and if there's not enough money. And if you can achieve conservation by making sure that it's well regulated, it's done locally, and ultimately that the resources go back into the people who protect it. So, yeah, no, that's right. I've ended up on the wrong side of the equation on that debate as well. <laughs> Don't worry. This show was a lightning rod for the New Zealand public, I assure you. Um, uh, Professor, first of all, you made a very clear statement, and I'd like you to clarify it. And, and, and more words, but it was about that you didn't believe that gun control in New Zealand was adequate. Have I have I got that right? Yeah, no, that, that, that's a fair comment. That we're certainly not up with best practice. Yeah, that's that's correct. 
that that it's with regard not just to look, we've got to take a step back. I mean the the problem is is mass shootings, not just as historically happened in this country and other countries, but what's contemporary is happening in America. And the issue then is how can you make it better? What what standards can you do? And the question I was trying to raise is is New Zealand up to the best standards? And the answer is no. Okay. So before we kick into what, what you believe the best standards are, you, you touched on something that's very close to me, and that is that the media have a responsibility when it comes to publicising mass shootings. Is that... Yeah, no, no, that's absolutely right. I mean, before you even discuss issues of gun control, you've got to look at the most effective and immediate way you can stop this problem right now, and that is that is through copycats. And the, the research shows very clearly that people copy other people doing terrible things if they think it will bring them fame or infamy or that they'll have a, a chance to really create terror on other people. And so the more the media reports extreme events in a way which is beyond factual or the public's right to know, it can, it can, it can encourage a copycats. And so what the media needs to be doing is to adopt a code of conduct, kind of like we do with youth, youth suicides. Like we, we know that the more youth suicides are reported in a, in a too much detail or almost a glamorous way, you'll get other kids following them. And so we need a kind of code of conduct for reporting mass murder like we do with youth suicide. What would that look like, Professor? You know, you're talking about, and I, I'm, I'm not particularly, I don't, I don't cover current affairs as such, and I don't report the news, so, but what, what does that code of conduct look like? So, so what that would mean is like, so when you hear about a, an atrocity, because the public has a right to know, the public has a right to know about the atrocity, they have a right to know about how many people were killed and mm. and maybe the location, but beyond that, you, you don't need to show pictures of the terror in people's face before they die. You don't need a lot of details to make it sort of exciting. And in many ways, you, you must not glamorize the shooter of what's happening. And so what, what some of the police officers were doing in America, they said, like, we're not even going to give out this guy's name or not mention it. It's a step towards the right direction. But surely, I, I see these images and I, I hear about these shootings and the, the, the ter- terror and the fear on people's faces doesn't appeal to me in the slightest. In fact, quite the opposite. I can't believe that these sort of things go on. As human beings, I, I would have thought we would have evolved uh, somewhat past this kind of rubbish. But are you saying that some people, and I'm cle- clearly they're mentally unstable, look at that and go, gosh, I want that fame? Yeah, that's right. Some people do. Yep. And they're a tiny percentage of a minority, but, but we do. The evidence is clear that they... Whenever you get a mass shooting, the more it's reported, the more it's international, the more glamorised it is, you will get copycats. And as I say, it's exactly the same with youth suicides. And so the easiest way to deal with it, before you even talk about gun control, is to make sure that the media media reporting of it is as toned down and as rational and as calm as possible. Do you think that should be self-regulated, or do you think that needs to be something that is legislated? I, I think... We, we should settle for the voluntary code of conduct, right. and, you know. And if the voluntary code of conduct doesn't doesn't actually do what it's meant to be doing, then then maybe go towards a more a bit of regulation. But I'm generally I'm not a fan of regulation. If a voluntary code could do it. But how do you, how do you do that when traditional media or above the line media 
is a whole lot more prominent. I can imagine, you know, Radio New Zealand, TVNZ, uh, NZME, MediaWorks, all going, well, let's have this voluntary code of conduct and let's stick to it. But then you have the the grey media, the, the the journalists that are out there, or the, I don't even think they're journalists, but these guys that are out there um, pushing their own agenda and really trying to get a reaction or shock journalism. How do you control that side of it if you don't legislate? Well, at some point you may need to. I mean, a more contemporary example, not so much with the issue of youth suicides, but sort of like it's with the um, Islamic State in the Middle East and the, the execution of hostages. And so, like, you know, yes, we have a need to know what they're doing with hostages, but do we need to see images of the hostages' head actually being removed? Mm. And so some, some media have said, okay, we're just going to show you the shot of the guy before he's killed. But then if you go onto the internet, the internet will actually show you images of the entire um, execution. And in that kind of situation, you, clearly you're feeding the people who want to go and join ISIS. And you're, that whole kind of – same kind of situation of terror and power. And so in that – you know, if the voluntary stuff isn't working in that time, yeah, maybe you do need legislation, a certain standard. Because otherwise you're just making the problem worse for your software in the longer term. One thing I want to put to you before we go into gun control is – uh, is it that the media is sensationalising this? But the second side of it is, as far as I can tell, statistically, human, the, the human species is living in one of its most peaceful times in human history. Um, realistically, um, you know, you read books like A Better Angel of Our Nature and look at some really hard stats. Are we just? Are you saying that we're trying to improve it, or are we? Have we got? Have we improved already? Oh, I think we have improved. There's no question about that. I mean, violence is. In, in many ways, the more a country is civilized, the more it's um, got a good constitution, and the more that there's human rights and freedoms, then, then aggression does seem to go down in a number of instances. But having said that, a lot of times, it, we, current statistics, apart from Pinker's book, seem to show that we're going we're going back up, yeah. and and so we, we we may have plateaued. And one thing I'd caution everyone about is this idea that we're at the end of history and that we're about to live all peacefully and happily ever after. Mm. In fact, what, what we see is a change, and as things change, it's it's different. And so, like, in the past, there was less, there was more violence between countries. And so, like, you know, like um, Russia would fight um, Poland and Poland would fight Germany. And, that, at the, and so, like, that type of conflict is gone. And so what we see now, like, there's 35 wars on the planet at the moment, and 33 of them are internal and so now it's not so much violence between countries, it's violence within countries. Okay. And so it, yeah, it's cha- what we've seen is change, and that change in itself is a concern. But violence within developed countries, which is what I think you're talking about, yes. yeah, that, that, that is declining in many parts, but it also seems to have plateaued in some areas. Okay. And a lot of that's also linked not so much into regards to violence per se, but to economic situations, like when and people having enough resources around them to have a decent life. I, I want to get back onto to gun control. And you, you're very firm on that, that you don't think that New Zealand has or is practicing best practice. Well, that was bad English, but we're not, we're not using best practice in this country. Yet I, for some reason, get the feeling that we've got a good, I personally believe we've got a really good balance. So I'd like to hear your opinion, first of all, backed up with some real stats about about what is best practice and what is the evidence that says that is best practice? The 
the practice comes across in three parts. The best practice is in terms of um, licensing the, the shooter, um, then two, having registration of the weapons, and three, firearms buyback campaigns or amnesties. With regard to the licensing of the shooter, the I'd say New Zealand is best practice. I'd, I'd say we, we do very well in terms of actually making sure that the, the, the shooters out there are correct people to have the weapons. They're, the problem with this area is that the the mass shootings are occurring more with licensed people than with unlicensed people. And so how we improve that isn't something I can answer, but that's something we need to be getting people who are much more qualified at working out who is a, a um, fit and healthy person to have a weapon to be looking at. And we, we need to be vigilant in this area because if we're not vigilant, you, it's a, a, you know, a backhand will come across next time someone goes mad and is licensed. And so you want to be proactive about this and be setting the standards. We're, we're, we're not good as with regards to a gun register because it is um, best practice now to have gun registers. And in international law, which is one of the areas I work in, the big difficulty we've got right now is international criminal gangs. And you know, so you can think about the drug trade or you can think about slavery or people trafficking. One of the tools that that we use in international law to combat international criminal activity is a gun register or gun control. And New Zealand has not been able to sign up to these protocols because we don't have a gun register. And we do that so that we can track the guns which are lawful and unlawful. And of course, registers are common in other countries as well. But I know there is a debate about the, the cost and the efficiency of them. The third area is with regards to a gun buyback campaign or an amnesty. And my argument here is that, as you probably know from the numbers, there's about, as much as we can tell, because there's a lot of soft numbers in this, there's about a million firearms in New Zealand. And the the best guess is that there's about 100,000 of these which are currently not worth the people that were originally intended to be with, not necessarily criminals, but, you know, they're just, they're just washed up into the wrong hands. My argument is that we need to have a amnesty or a buyback campaign to get rid of those weapons, to get them out of the people who aren't, who shouldn't have them. Not necessarily criminals, but, but just shouldn't have them. I, I go further than some people because I don't think an amnesty in itself is enough because I think it's, um, it's a start to the process to get some of these guns out of circulation. But the, the better result is when you put a bit of money on the table and say, look, you hand in that weapon over there, I'll give you 100 bucks." You hand in a more advanced weapon, I'll give you 200 bucks. And so, therefore, it's about, to me, it's about getting those weapons away from the, unli the unlicensed people. Not necessarily the criminals, but just the unlicensed. And then the criminals is another debate on top of that. Mm. Don't, don't you think, though, that by controlling this a whole lot more, you're just creating a black market for firearms? The, the black market's already there. And so, I mean, we've got two discussions here. We've got a, the, like I'm talking about a buyback campaign to get it away, get the hundred thousand guns if the numbers are right, out of the unlicensed hands. Just so, just a general safety campaign. And so, that that's a different argument to the black market. The the, the black market one is that we, we need to be thinking differently around this area and the, in terms of the the penalties for the possession of an unlicensed firearm and in terms of making sure that the these people are sent away. So like with the, 
in Australia recently following the Sydney hostage drama, they increased the penalty to 14 years potential in jail for being in possession and wrongful use of an illegal firearm. And I think that's a good policy. I think that makes sense. Because, but that, you know, that's, to me, that that's the right way to be going about this and making sure that the, um, because we also know now that the criminals are targeting certain people, um, like people who are gun collectors, who, who lawfully have a collection, or people who are um, gun importers, or people who are gun specialists, like they've got, they've got the pistols or they've got the, the registered weapons. Because remember, 4% of our weapons are registered. We should be making sure that anyone who um, wrongfully sells to these people should go to jail for a very long time, and anyone in possession of these weapons who shouldn't be in possession of them should go to jail for a very long time. Okay. What do you say to the people that cite Chicago as an option? You know, you've got a very, very tightly controlled, or tightly maybe, or tight for America maybe, uh, gun control area, and yet their gun crime certainly isn't is is higher, if not the same, as everywhere else. This isn't going to solve the problems. Mm. You know, no, no matter what I say, there's no magic solution to this. All we, all I think we can do is reduce the risk to a greater degree than what it currently already is. Mm. And you know, I think the one certainty we can have is that more weapons or more guns in society doesn't necessarily make us safer. Because if it did, America would be the safest place on earth right now. <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> um, I suppose I go one step further, and you're talking about licensing the weapon now, or, or the firearm. Isn't that cat out of the bag? How do you get? I, I would, if the law came in, I would personally go down and I would li- I would register my firearms. In fact, my firearms possibly are all registered. I'd, Hand on heart, I think they are. But, um, but my, I, hope so. I, I think they all are. I'm certainly, yeah. I'm certainly licensed. But um, how how do you get that to to work? You know, you've got um, you've got Mister Smith who's got a farm. He's got two old twenty twos. He pops off the odd rabbit with, um, you know, they were probably bought by his father in 1910. Um, he he's got a license, but in no way is he going to spend the time to go down to the police station and license those two guns. Or, or register those two guns, sorry. I just, I feel like, is the cat out of the bag and do we have to find another solution? I think that there's, you know, if, if the numbers are right, if there's up to, as I say, that the numbers suggest that there's about a, a million weapons, or a million firearms, I know they're not weapons, but a million firearms in the country, and that this the growth is currently about 10,000 per year with new, new imports. Mm. That that's that's a lot, you know. That, that that's a huge amount, and so that you know that's not one cat that's out of the bag. That's a million cats which are out of the bag. That's a lot and, of cats and to get in the bag, mate. <laughs> that that that's a that's a bloody big bag. <laughs> yeah. No, I I I don't disagree with you on that. But the the we, we had a register uh, mm-hmm. until 1982, and and then it was realised that it was cumbersome and expensive. The when it was given up in 1982, I was in high school and we didn't even have a computer. And you know, time, times have changed. So I think new technologies will make it easier. And if we start tracking now, much clearer with the weapons that we've got, you know, coming in lawfully and the weapons which should be registered beyond the the military semi-automatics and the pistols, then we, we, we'll build it forward. But if you combine that at the same time to what I'm advocating, which is the 
the buyback campaign for the unwanted weapons or the amnesty for the unwanted weapons, you could get two birds with one stone here. Mm. But yes, yes, it would be expensive. I mean, you can't you can't deny that. Um, and the, the, who should pay for that? My my thinking on this at the moment is that obviously for the ongoing of the register, that should be dealt with like um, a any kind of registration. Like if you've got a gun registration, that that process with the licensing should go towards that cost. But if for the actual buyback, I'm thinking maybe we need some kind of special levy on ACC or something. But that 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 would be a one-off thing that would get us up. up. Yeah, no, I know it's harsh. It's a very. But I'm being honest here. I'm not going to lie to you. I I I don't think it would be cheap. No, I and think so it would be incredibly pe- expensive. To be honest. But but this. But what will happen is that at some point you will have another atrocity, and when you have an atrocity. Laws and regulations will be forced upon you that they may be further than you need to actually have done there. So you need to be proactive. And we've seen that in Australia, haven't we? We, I personally think the Australian rules have gone too far. Um, where that, you've actually yeah, that, ruined our what, sport over there. The, 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 the people aren't hunting anymore. And and that's why I think you know one of the best advocate groups for, for greater control should be the hunters. Mm. But because it should be in their own self-interest to regulate this, to show that it's as safe as possibly can be and squeaky clean, so that when the next atrocity does happen, that people aren't going to sort of like try to take away your your interest in your hobbies. But don't you think that's, that's most hunters' biggest fear? See, I look at it, I, I enjoy my sport, I enjoy my craft, I enjoy my hobby. And the biggest fear I have is that being taken away from me. And hunters guard that passionately. How do you yeah. manage that? I mean, I'm talking now PR. How does how does the government or the police or, or whatever governing body is going to control these changes get that out there so there isn't a backlash? It, it's about people trying to realise it's not about prohibition of firearms, and it's you know it's about trying to make sure. The most is done to prevent the next accident because when, you know, when we had Aramawana, it, it was there was a huge public backlash. You had the law. Whenever it's the way we work, rightly or wrongly, we, we don't listen to reason. We don't listen to good argument. We respond to disaster. We, we, we respond to catastrophe. And the more aesthetically extreme it is, the more likely you're going to get a good government reaction. And so you want to be ahead of the game because we will have more gun disasters in this country. It's just a question of when and question of magnitude. And the more you're ahead of the game as a regulatory body, the less chance you're going to get a, a nasty backhand to come across you. And I want to make this very clear, Professor. You're not an anti-gun lobbyist. I, 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 I no. know you're not, but I just want to make that very clear for our listeners. No, no, I'm not. I'm not. You know, no. I'm, I'm not a hunter, but I like shooting. I've been, yeah, but... Last time I was at a range was with a pistol in England um, before I had glasses and I was a terrible shot. But after glasses, <laughs> it got a lot better. <laughs> and I was yep. really disappointed. I thought I was going to be like Dirty Harry, but it, was, <laughs> it wasn't the case whatsoever. So you, you've, you've advocated these, these changes. Who, who is going to be pushing this barrow? I, I, I look at it and go, is, is it going, does it need to be pushed by someone like the Deerstalkers Association, who, let's be real, have a huge group of gun owners, or is it? Does it need to be another body? I mean, how do you how do you even begin this? Because I think I think you're right. By getting a group of gun owners to control their own destiny, 
you're going to get a far more measured response, aren't you? Well, it's, yeah, but but you you've got to preempt it before the next accident happens. You know, yeah, that's right. And if you control it rather than just being reactionary, it, the public sympathy will go more towards those who are being reasonable and rational about it. And, you... and yes, it, it, it does take public relations. You know, I I know that the, a number of um, a number of police are interested in this area, mm. and it it's about you know it, it's about making sure that the, the bad guys don't get the weapons. It's about making sure that the good guys have the best standards possible, and and as much as possible, also making sure that when there are costs involved, that they are dealt with equitably, and not hoisted upon any one group because of historical reasons. How what a, you talked about how that and I was interested. In fact, I, I wrote a note here saying that you talked about it's, it's it's licensed gun holders that have started to show up in these crime stats. Where does that crime? Where does that stat yeah. come from? No, that's American, and I think the chat from Aaron Moana was also licensed as well. Okay. But you know, you're, you're going to get you are going to get bad apples no matter what you do in mm-hmm. every group, and if you've got like I think there's two hundred and thirty thousand people who are licensed here. Then and you get one or two bad apples. Then that that's you know that's to be expected. But the question is, have you done everything you can to make sure that the bad apple doesn't grow on the tree? You know, and that that's where I'm saying, you know, maybe we need people to like say, is this is this standard for fitness, which we've currently got, and I think is very good. Is this as good as it can be, or can it be improved? How would you improve it? Well, this is where I'm not sure. I, right. I, that's why I'd look, I'd look at the, you know, what other experts say. And as far as I can tell, it's a very good standard in terms of licensing the shooter, and that that's that's good. And but but is it could it be better? Let, let's see what they come up with. Let's have the debate. Mm-hmm. But at the moment, of the three things I'm saying, it's pretty good. But always, because we need to be vigilant, could we make it a little bit better? What are your thoughts on uh, New Zealand? We have very strict handgun and, and um, semi-automatic or, or military-style weapons rules. I think we're some of the, particularly compared to the United States, we're, we're pretty hard. Have we got yep. that side of it right? Or are you just talking I, about I, the I'd general? Say, I, yeah, I'd say we've got that much pretty much on the button. Right. Yeah, I'm very happy with that. And I, you know, because we've got those, we've got those weapons registered. We've got access to them for legitimate users. We've got clubs that they can actually practice their sport under you know under good situations and the police go to the clubs and know the people and to me to me that's good mm. what do you what's your message out there for most law-abiding hunters you know i'm talking about the guys that are just listening to this interview thinking this guy doesn't know what he's on about you know i'm because they do they generalize don't we we're, we're really passionate about what we do and we're saying i you know, I love my sport. I'm not about to go shoot anybody, and only bad people do this. Why? Why bother? Why change when you've almost said yourself that we're not going to stop those bad apples? Yeah, but but we can we can do our best to reduce the risk. Right. I think the, the the reason we need to be active in this area is it's foreseeable to me that there's going to be more gun crime in this country. There's going to be more gun crime everywhere, and you know whether. Whether it's some criminal shooting a couple of cartridges from a shotgun at a police officer, or you know it's an indi- it's a an individual who walks out who's mentally unstable with a gun at McDonald's or whatever, or worst case scenario someone gets hold of a semi-automatic and does a lot of damage in a public space. It, it, to me, it's foreseeable that it's going to happen, and the question is, are we doing everything which is possible 
within reason, yeah, within reason, that that we could stop this. It, it's not we're, we're not going to stop it completely, but we might be able to do better than we can, and I think we can do better. Okay, Professor, you've actually <laughs> you've been very balanced, and I, I appreciate that, and I I enjoyed talking to you again. Have you got a, any final words for us? Um. And you don't have to. <laughs> no, 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 I'm a bit, I'm a bit worded out. I, no, just it, as I say, it's not about prohibition, about regulation. It's about just making sure that we can, you know, do the things we enjoy and, and keep it under supervision. And and you know, we're, we're very much the groups that are, the, the groups that are lawfully engaged in this area are the ones who are, are the solution to the problem. Mm. But because you know whether. Whether we're talking about regulating our cars and our driving, or regulating any other activity in society, we've got to set the standards rather than have the standards ultimately um, pushed upon you, hmm. which is in no one's interest. Hmm. Well, look, th- thank you again. Thank you very much for appearing on the show. You've been a, you were easy to contact, you were easy to talk to, and I appreciate what I'm sure is your valuable time. And you're not feeling very well today either, are you? No, no, I've got it. I've got kids and they gave me bugs, little nasty germ things. <laughs> it, it, it's just the last, it's just wrong in spring. Cause like you just feel like you should be out there. And what you want to do is, at the moment is just blow more tissues. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I, I look forward to talking to you again, and I hope um, that the message you're getting out there isn't misinterpreted, um, because I very much think it's a balanced and sensible message. And uh, and we'll get you back on the show when maybe as things change or as something develops. Brilliant. I'd love to talk to you again. Okay. Thanks, Professor. Thanks, Stephen. Bye-bye. Well, that's us for another week, and I hope you found that informative and, well, interesting as well. Remember, you can win that great prize of a 12-month subscription to NZ Outdoor Hunting Magazine. All you've got to do is be active on our page, on our emails, and certainly download and listen to our podcast. And something tells me I'm about to get a flood of emails about that interview that's just gone. Be very careful out there, guys. Enjoy the beautiful weather. Good hunting. Broadcasting from an undisclosed location, from a secret hunting spot known only to him and the guy who told him about it, and possibly the guy who told the guy who told him. It's a show all about hunting in New Zealand and around the globe. This is The Hunting Show. Find The Hunting Show on Facebook and Twitter for up-to-date information on upcoming shows and topics.